What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is a great one. I recently moderated a panel with Dana White and Rich Kleiman for the Mint Collective Conference in Las Vegas. We discuss how Dana built the UFC, why Rich is so bullish on collectibles, the shift from pay TV to streaming, and some epic stories about the biggest challenges that Dana and Rich have overcome in business. This was an amazing conversation with two industry leaders, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. But before we get into it, let's quickly run through today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a 24-7 personalized fitness wearable that's here to help you improve your recovery, sleep, fitness, and health. It's the one tech product that I wear 24-7. Here's how it works. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, respiratory rate, and heart rate variability. Your score lets you know how to approach your day, whether you should push yourself during your workout or activity, or if you should skip the gym and take a rest day. You wear your Whoop on your wrist, bicep, or now within one of their new smart clothing garments called Whoop Body. The band connects with an app on your phone, and it automatically measures your heart rate, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. The band also automatically detects and classifies your workouts, so there's never an issue in forgetting to press go on a run anymore. You can then analyze your activity levels in the app. There's also a ton of coaching features within it like Strain Coach, which gives you target workout exertion goals tailored to your body's recovery level for that day. Those goals change over the course of the day, depending on how active you've been. That coaching is where Roop really shines. Whether you're interested in how CBD or alcohol impacts your sleep and recovery, or you're just wondering how long of a run you should go on, Whoop is there to provide you with personalized data to make sure you're aware of the impact these decisions have on your body. And Whoop is now offering 15% off their new Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter Joe, J-O-E, at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Next up is Underdog Fantasy the easiest and best way to play fantasy sports. Join a league and draft a team in minutes. They make it that easy, and yes, that simple. But if you'd like to spice things up, try their new pick'em game. Just pick over or under on your favorite or least favorite player stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile app. Just pick between two and five players, and you can take home some cold, hard cash. Go to underdogfantasy.com and use code POMP. That's P-O-M-P, POMP, and get your first deposit doubled by Underdog today. Next up is FTX. I'm sure you've heard of them by now, whether it's because of their partnerships with the Miami Heat, Golden State Warriors, the MLB, or Formula One. Whatever it may be, it's obvious that FTX is dominating the crypto conversation in sports. FTX US is a safe, regulated way to buy Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Plus, you can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than any other exchange on the market. You can even buy NFTs on the FTX app from top ETH and Solana collections without getting hit with fees. Simply put, FTX gets it, and they want to make crypto exposure accessible, easy, and secure. Download the FTX app on your smartphone today and use code JOEPOMP, J-O-E-P-O-M-P, for a discount on trading fees and start building your portfolio in less than three minutes. It's literally that easy. All right, let's get into this episode. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. 
You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight. I want to just say thank you to everyone at Collectible, IMG, and all their partners for putting this event on. Between this conversation with Dana White and Rich Kleinman and the event in Las Vegas, it's going to be fantastic for not everyone in the hobby, but everyone interested in sports business. A quick introduction for myself. I'm Joe Pompliano. For those that don't already know me, I spent a considerable amount of time investing in early stage companies, but I also own and operate a media business that focuses on the intersection of sports and business. So I'm super excited today to talk to two leaders in that space. We're going to be bringing up Rich Kleiman, who runs the boardroom, and Dana White, who runs the UFC. Let's see if we can get them up on stage here, and then we'll have some fun for 30 minutes and do a Q&A. Dana, Rich, how are you guys? Good job, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm great, thanks. Awesome, guys. All right, Dana, let's start with you real quick. Personally, selfishly, I'm a little curious, just like, what have the last two years been like with COVID, right? In my mind, and I think other people's mind, you guys have led the way in not only staying open, but not furloughing employees, not firing employees and putting on events. It's an extremely tough business, obviously, logistically with dealing with fights domestically, internationally, and everything that goes along with that. So just what has that experience been like over the last two years? Well, first of all, thank you. And, and yeah, it's, it's been incredibly challenging. Ever since it started, I, I felt like hiding was not an option. We had to get out there and figure this thing out, run toward it, testing, the bubble, all the stuff that ended up becoming the normal part of the COVID experience. We got out there pretty much first and started doing it. And, you know, Fight Island was a huge success for us. And our business has blown up over the last two years after going through COVID. Gotcha. And, and Rich, I love talking with you, one, because you're a great guy. But secondly, you have built an incredible business. And I would love for a second if you can just kind of explain everything this encompasses, right? So you're obviously business partners with Kevin Durant. But you guys have a media business, you invest a lot, and you're doing a lot of cool things outside of that. So just if you could explain real quickly just what your business encompasses for everyone. Yeah. Well, it started, like you said, with managing Kevin. I've been in music and in sports for almost 15 years at that point, about 10 years ago. And when I was at Rock Nation, I helped start the sports division. And Kevin and I, at that point, built an incredible trust. And you know, after managing a, a lot of talent in my life, there's a different relationship when you lock in with someone and you share a vision and you can kind of start to think about what you guys could build together. And it was around that time where LeBron had built this incredible business for himself. And in a lot of ways, you know, I had witnessed that myself being around hip hop for so long and seeing, you know, how these like impresarios and stars within hip hop built these economies around themselves and built these enterprises. So ultimately, Kevin and I in 2016 went and started 35 Ventures and started investing in venture. And then Six years later now, we've invested everything from the company. We've built it as a parent company model. We have no outside funding. And we've invested in over 80 companies early stage. We built a media platform, Boardroom, which is our kind of platform, our digital media brand that we think embodies the modern day sports fan. Fans that love the entire culture in and around sports don't necessarily watch sports, but everything that sports represents now and the businesses that intersect it. That's what Boardroom's been about. And we still produce a handful of other series and, and scripted docs, et cetera. But the focus of the business is venture and Boardroom. Gotcha. And Dana, 
You've obviously been working on the UFC for a long period of time. I think it's probably one of the tremendous success stories in sports, but also brand building. You guys, you sit here today, you have hundreds of millions of fans. You're broadcasted internationally in 170 countries or so, millions of followers all over social media. Did you think that the business was going to get this big when you first started it? Well, I believed it had the potential to. I mean, seriously, I know this is going to sound silly to you guys, but the potential for it still is unbelievable. Streaming. Back when we bought the company in 2001, we had in-demand pay-per-view, we had DirecTV and a Dish Network and whatever television network we could end up on. And if we wanted to be in other countries, we had to go cut tons of different television deals. Streaming now is, is very real. It works. And, you know, we're looking down the pipe of the possibility of, you know, in one night, how many people are in the world? Seven, eight billion people. You do the right fight in the right place at the right time. We could do five or six million pay-per-views in one night. So that's always been my focus and my dream, if you will, with the business. And that's where we're headed. But yeah, I believe this thing could be big. And I believe it can be even bigger now. Now that you're actually in it and realizing it and it's actually happening. It doesn't suck. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And do you think about like the transition from you, you mentioned streaming. So I ask about kind of broadcast television to streaming and where that's all going. Yeah. Listen, I, this is what I believe. I don't know if it's a fact. I, I believe that someday streaming would be a real thing and, and it would be global. And it is. And I also believe like when I grew up, we, we had channel three, channel five, channel eight, and channel 13, then cable came along and then satellite. I think that, I don't know if it's going to be, is it going to be Netflix? Is it going to be Amazon? Is it going to be Disney and ESPN? I think that there's, you know, you had the big majors, ABC, NBC, and CBS back when I was a kid. I believe those three, there'll be three powerhouses globally. That will be the big networks. And then there will be a lot of small spinoffs around them. And Rich, building the boardroom, you guys are obviously becoming a main, main player in this space from a media perspective, but you focus on a bunch of different things, right? It's not just sports. It's not just business. It's not just culture and so forth. How do you guys pick what to focus on when it comes to that? From a storytelling and content perspective, I mean, I think that, you know, ultimately when we started it, the idea was that what I believe the sports business landscape looked like was very different than what I had imagined it being when I was a kid. And I really fantasized about being in some of the positions that I'm in now. And I always thought that that meant you had to grow up through a league or grow up through a team or graduate with a law degree. And when I had started to see when I went to Silicon Valley, just how different it was and, and what it felt like and, and what conversations within that boardroom literally and figuratively happened and the things that were spoken about. And that had to fit that filter. So that encompasses music at times, that encompasses business now and crypto and NFTs. It encompasses sports, obviously, but also the businesses that these athletes are, are building and growing and how they've intersected. And it seems a bit broad at times, but the lens is really with that filter about what we believe represents the culture of what the modern day sports fan wants to see and hear. Gotcha. And Rich, one of the questions from the audience was just around the idea of actually building the business, right? I think the person that asked it is an entrepreneur and they're saying, I'm just starting to scale my business and really start to grow this thing. Is there any advice that you would give? Yeah, I mean, well, there, I could answer that in a ton of different ways, obviously. But for us, you know, it was about being thoughtful. It was about finding that partnership. I really believe strongly in having a partner when you're building something or partnerships to some degree. Obviously, Kevin's global appeal and what he had built and the network that I had built to that point gave us a nice base. But 
we were really thoughtful about what we were building. And it was about taking time and making sure that we kind of knew what the first benchmark was and the first vision was. We didn't want to take outside capital. So we knew we had to grow it at a different pace. But as long as we kind of checked each other, and that's why I think a partnership is really valuable and made sure that we were staying very true to what we had envisioned for ourselves. And even as we looked at companies that we were investing in, which in a sense was building our business, it was that same filter, you know, and the idea of not having outside capital allows our filter to kind of be something we just feel and not have to always be able to communicate, right? And that's the gut and the instinct that we go off of a bit. But, you know, I really do think that as much as you want to hurry up and get there, that the path is never direct. So some of those moves and some of those singles and and sacrifice flies that you have to take along the way, building it, you got to do it. And that comes with a bit of patience, but never lack of ambition and excitement. You got to stay with that energy and that entrepreneurial spirit. But there's a there's a marathon in it. Gotcha. And Dana, I think everyone sees these large businesses and they think there's some kind of overnight success, right? They People woke up and it was this massive thing. But if I remember the story correctly, you guys, when you acquired the UFC originally, you essentially just acquired the name in an octagon. So was there ever a time along the way where you seriously thought like, okay, this may not make it past tomorrow or the next day? Or was there a big like problem that you guys ran into that you weren't sure you were going to be able to solve? Yeah, you're right. When we first bought the company, you know, the, the previous owner had stripped it down and sold away everything, all the rights. None of the trademarks were protected. You know, we didn't own the rights to the video game, home video, DVD, which ended up becoming a massive business for us. And, and the list goes on and on. So we had to go back and acquire all those rights while trying to build the business at the same time. And yes, many people believe that things just happen overnight. The amount of grind and consistency that it takes to build a business like this, you know, th then you get it to a place where it's cruising and kicking ass and COVID comes. And then now there's a war and you can't get, you know, these guys in the country because they can't get visas. And it, it never ends. It's just every day there's something coming at you and, and you have to figure out solutions to these problems. Yeah, I hope I answered your question. Yeah, you did. And there was another audience question for you, Dana, which they had specific names in it. But I think the spirit of the question was really that the UFC has traditionally had a bunch of big names, right? When they first started watching, they named GSP and Spider, and they said these were the headliners. Then it was Connor and Ronda and so forth. Do you envision this thing still being kind of top heavy with a bunch of headliners and a longer tail at the end? Or do you think that that fades away over time where there's not as many big fights and it's more stable? Yeah, I think that there's always going to be, you know, a period where you have a bunch of big stars and then you'll have a period where, you know, you'll have the, the group now that that remembers Connor and Ronda and go, I don't know any of these guys there today. Sometimes I'll bump into people and they'll be like, oh, I was a big Chuck Liddell fan back in the day. And, and, and like you said, GSP or whoever. And I don't know a lot of these kids today. So, you, you know, it's funny because the business has grown so much. We're in 170 different countries worldwide. We have 625 million fans in that ballpark, but you'll still run into people that, that remember the old stars. But we created this show called the Contender Series that is just a star-building machine. I, I just had a fight on Saturday night, and literally as soon as the fight was over, I called Ari and said, the amount of up-and-coming stars that we have in this company right now is, is incredible. And, and that's the key to any sport. I mean, in the NBA or, or the NFL or whatever, you need a pipeline of young up-and-coming potential superstars. And we have that. I will say, I think your league alone in its ability to be able to operate as a brand with so much allure and excitement that it can sit through a period of maybe not having as many stars. Whereas like the NBA has to be driven by stars. 
you know, I went to the garden for my first time ever to see it. Embarrassed to say that, but I didn't really know anybody. But even ask the fans for the stories and the storylines building up to it, by the middle of every fight, I was locked in. And that's that's a rarity. I mean, I think the NFL has a little of that, but not to the same degree where you see men and women both kind of celebrating and just the excitement of it. I think that's a very rare thing that you guys have built that. Thanks. I appreciate it. But one of the things, well, that, that's a good example. Like what I do need when you show up on Saturday at the garden is I need good fights. So it's all about the matchmaking and making sure that we have the best talent. And the other thing that, that makes the sport what it is today is that, you know, I, I'm a huge basketball fan, right? I love basketball live when you're sitting in your seats and you're watching the sport live. And I'm not going to lie. You know, when I watch it at home, I'm going to tune in the last four and a half minutes. You know what I mean? The game and watch that. The NFL, there's nothing better on TV live than the NFL. It's incredible. Live? Eh, I'd rather be at home and, and watch it. The UFC is awesome on television, and it's even better when you go to see it live. So yeah. we're very lucky in that our live event is great, whether it's on TV or in person. Yeah. Yeah, And, and, and Dana, one of the things that I'm curious about, too, is how you guys work with acquiring a younger fan base, right? So I joke often, everyone talks about Formula One Drive to Survive. I'm like, the UFC did this a decade ago, right? They had the ultimate fighter where you could see the athletes and, and see their personalities and stuff like that. So that was certainly probably ahead of its time a little bit. But even today, you guys are managing one of the fighters with the Nelk Boys and you're doing a bunch of these other things. How do you think about acquiring younger fans? Yeah, I think that, that we've been in the, in the forefront of that since day one. We were one of the first to jump on social media and get on social media. Our show Embedded, we do a, a show called Embedded that, is real time that leads you up the week of the fight to the fight itself, telling you real time storylines that are happening day in and day out. And just a lot of different programming like that, that we do just for younger people that are on social media or YouTube or whatever it might be. Gotcha. And Rich, I would like to switch lanes here for a second and talk about trading cards specifically and collectibles, right? So as someone who grew up around sports and the business and everything that goes along with that, you guys now at the boardroom, you have a specific vertical that's dedicated to collectibles and trading cards, newsletters, video, all that type of stuff. Did you ever think that it was going to get big enough to where there would be specific verticals in a business focused on it? No, I definitely didn't. But the idea of it, I should have. I think over the pandemic and understanding how that came back to light, really transitioned to like the same mindset to understand NFTs and start to understand the communities that are being built around it. I think it was incredible how it like started quickly in the beginning of the pandemic with trading cards. And you saw because that arbitrage was brought back to light, like how people could spend so much money. But for me, that really just talked about just the size of what sports has impacted and the scale of what sports as a culture is. And for me, I felt like it was just the transition into starting to speak about all of the disruptive sectors around sports, you know, and trading cards are one of them. But it's that same mindset, that kind of same tone that you speak about business overall, that we speak about blockchain and NFT. And as we start to look at what we're building in Web3 is still understanding all of those same kind of mindsets of the sports fan. You know, and I think trading cards are a big part of it, but also the business of it. You know, I've never seen a time in my life where the entrepreneur, the CEO is so spoken about and covered and glorified as in a lot of cases they should be. And I think the business has become you know, mainstream conversation. And the business that Dana's built is just as polarized and exciting for people to hear about as the fights you put on, you know, and as the stars themselves, because people really believe in those stories and aspire to the people that build the company in itself, which is 
you know, you probably weren't setting out to become a star yourself, but because yeah. you built this business, that's what people really admire. So I think, you know, all of that and understanding the people that had stuck with trading cards the whole time and why people had built up these incredible collections and never threw it away like I did. You know, I looked through my collection. I bought cards every year that basketball was successful, but all I kept were Nick cards. You know what I'm saying? So I have nothing. <laughs> you know, and I don't cover it the same amount because like the market, it has gone down a bit, but it's still a part of the overall conversation. And we want to be at the center of all. Of it. Gotcha. And Dana, what does the collectible business look like now for the UFC? Yeah, it's been unbelievable. You know, everything that we've put on sale is, is sold out in minutes. It's not just the NFT business, but, you know, whether it's signed posters, you know, the guys fight kits, worn or unworn, NFTs, cards, the Panini cards, actual trading cards. Like when we grew up, I mean, all of that stuff is on fire right now. Yeah. And I know both of you have affiliates with this in, in different degrees, right? You both have crypto partnerships with different firms, Dapper Labs, Coinbase, Crypto.com, like all, all these different ones, right? But maybe we'll start with Rich. And, and Rich, did you envision crypto becoming such a big part of this? I know that you've been interested in it and around the space for at least five or seven or eight years now. Did you see this kind of taking over or was this a surprise over the last few years? Well, I mean, everything that's happening the last few years has been a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I had such visibility and access granted to me by being close to Kevin in 2015 and 16 in the Bay. And, you know, all I ever need is like a sliver. And as soon as we had the space, I became a sponge for information. And one of the biggest things that everybody talked about in our early conversations was about Bitcoin. I met Brian from Coinbase pretty early on. And our kind of theory as we were investing was to be curious and also to be investing in like leaders and, and sectors that we wanted to explore and crypto became one of them. And then Kevin and I stayed watching our wallet and, you know, he probably held on to more than I did. But as we got to know Brian and see the world like Coinbase and as they were evolving, it started to be something that we knew we were going to make a part of our business. But, you know, ultimately having Coinbase invest back into us and then sign on with Kevin and the platform, obviously we didn't imagine that. And then seeing this like, wild, wild west of crypto people partnering in sports. But it shows you the power of sports because the conversation around crypto and NFT completely transcended where it was because of sports, because of athletes, because of the leagues, because all of a sudden, everyone and their mother understood or had heard of the word NFT, crypto, heard about trading cards again. And obviously, you have to realize that's all driven by sports. Yeah. And Dana, NFTs have obviously skyrocketed in popularity, right? They went from essentially no trading volume and no popularity at all to billions of dollars worth over the course of a year. Why do you think it is that sports fans in particular have gravitated towards NFTs so much? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I go back to COVID again. I mean, we found out how much we love and need sports during COVID, man. It's not like I'm some guy that sits down and watches all these different sporting events on weekends, but I would have watched the ping pong. I mean, they had cornhole on ESPN, man. I, and I was watching cornhole during the pandemic. So sports is such an important part of our lives. And it's much bigger than we ever realized until recently. One of the cool things about the NFTs and, and all these things that they're doing is people can actually, whether it's the collectibles, the NFTs, the cards, whatever it might be, that you can own a piece of your favorite sports history. You can own a piece I think it connects the fans with something that they love even more. We're even at a point now where Dapper Labs, the NFTs, they're creating a variety of content during fight week, not just the fights, but 
you know, the open workouts, the press conference, the weigh-ins and things like that. Sports are very important in all of our lives. And I think we realize it more now than we have been. And so those that aren't familiar, Dapper Labs and you guys released the UFC Strike product, right? And right. I'm curious if you see this being like a smaller part of your business or you think it become a substantial part of your business from a revenue perspective? Well, I mean, the way that it looks, right? If it keeps heading in the direction it's heading in now, it's, it's going to be massive. And not just for us, but for the fighters too. The fighters get 50% of this. So it's very good for everybody. I mean, like I said, when Dapper Labs launched, sold out. Panini launched their cards. They sold out. Crypto put out these like championship belt NFTs, sold out. So, I mean, if it keeps heading in that direction, where this is headed, yeah, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, I think Mark Cuban said once for the NBA that he believes it could be the fourth or fifth biggest line item revenue-wise. So that's certainly substantial for a league similar to yours that makes billions of dollars. Rich, to you, there's a question from the audience that's asking about documentaries. They mentioned that 35 Ventures has put out some documentaries recently, and they're curious if you guys are looking or will look to do anything from a documentary perspective on the sports cards or collectible space. Yes, we have done quite a few documentaries through the years. It's usually something that's pretty close to like my heart or Kevin's heart, and it starts there, and we see it as just an opportunity to tell cool stories. You know, I think that there's something that I heard is coming out on the trading card business that I'm interested to see, I think, with Ken Golden and with Connor Shell. And I think there's a lot of incredible stories there. I think for us, I'm trying to really tell the story of the business of trading cards and collectibles and to start to understand how the business is growing. And I think that's our angle in it. Kevin and myself as collectors, you know, we continue to build our own collection. And I think NFTs, obviously, and, and that whole kind of world in itself. I don't think that's ever something that like we would start to tell stories around. However, it's a big part of our business. And for Dana, obviously, when you asked that question before, I mean, I think the people in this space that have a physical experience and a physical brand to complement NFTs and to complement that sector, the ones that will ultimately really win. So you have to build a community and building a community within Web3 is probably harder because we're all learning and we're all going in a bit blindfolded. You know? So I think as we look at the business of it, we'll be probably covering quite a few of the big companies and how they start to venture into it, the Nikes, you know, the UFCs of the world. But I don't know if we have a story that we're ready to tell right now of the overarching business for film. All right. I was just making sure Kevin wasn't releasing any NFTs or anything soon that we didn't well, we, know. We about. have an NFT coming out for sure. Yeah. You know, it's a bit more of an art project for us. We had somebody shoot Kevin over the course of the entire pandemic season and we take thousands of photos and we cut them up into this hero image and all these pictures start to come to life and we'll be putting it out obviously with our partners. And, but again, it's a compliment to what we're building. And I think, you know, it's because it's something that we have a connection to. And I think it's something that people that follow our brand, follow Kevin will have as a collector's piece. But, you know, I think that's where it sits in our zeitgeist a bit. Gotcha. So we only have a few minutes left. I want to ask one more question that was presented by the audience to each of you. Dana, I guess we'll start with you. And the question is, just what advice would you give to your younger self, knowing everything that you know now today? Stay the course, believe in, in what you're doing. If you love it and you're passionate about it. I mean, I'm sure everybody's heard this story a million times, but we were probably 2004. We bought the company for 2 million in 2001. And we're almost $40 million upside down by 2004. Trying to get on free TV at the time. This thing wasn't even allowed on pay-per-view. And we were trying to get on free TV, which people thought was impossible. I heard no 
more than anybody. I don't care. Bring me anybody. Nobody heard no more than I did. I promise you that right now. Everybody told me no. And we never took no for an answer. We would all, just like the pandemic, you know, when we were heading into our fourth year of hearing no's from everybody, we started figuring out how do we do this by ourselves? How do we do this without the help of anybody? How do we build this business? And the good thing about the fact that nobody wanted to touch this thing early was that we ended up owning 100% of all the rights to the company. If we would have done a major television deal and they were going to put us on TV, the network probably would have wanted a piece of the business. We actually went in the first season of The Ultimate Fighter that you were talking about earlier. We paid for it ourselves. We put up $10 million for the first season of The Ultimate Fighter, and the thing was a smash hit and a huge success. And at the time, we were on Spike TV with Viacom, and they didn't own a piece of it. And we had set the precedent that they weren't going to own a piece of the business. So when you find something that you love, and if you believe in it enough, stick with it, fight through it, you're going to hear no a lot, but don't take no for an answer. Stay the course and bet on yourself. All right, Rich, same question to you. If you had to give advice to your younger self, what would it be? Every step of the way, I wish I had mastered the shit out of the role I had. And I think about that now because every step of the way played a part in where I'm getting to now and where I want to continue to build. And I appreciate those times. And it wasn't that I didn't appreciate it. You know, when you're an entrepreneur, you know you're not going to be able to pay your bills sometimes. You have to know that. You know it's going to feel like the end of the world and you got to figure it out. But the one thing I wish I did was everything I did, I wish I crushed it. And I said this to someone that worked with me, that works with us. Look at like a rookie in the NFL that's got to be on special teams. You know, of course you did not want to play special teams as your main role in life, right? And if you did, then cool, you made it. But most of these players did not want to do that. But the one thing you can't do is be half-assed in that role. You'll never go up. And the idea of the guy who leads special teams and tackles or is the first one down right in front of his face, right before every fair catch, that guy usually moves up and gets snaps. And the, the idea that I had different things that I did, and I think I gave 80% at times or 90% at times earlier in my life, I wish I had just had this like flawless body of work, you know, where I knew I gave it my all. But, you know, I'm making up for it now. And I think in any kind of role that you take on in your life, if you really want it, you know, there's no one that can take away the work. So if you show them incredible work, nobody can question that. I really learned that from athletes, to be honest. You notice every athlete, when they get talked about after a game or their, their interview, they always talk right away. They go back to the work because for us, it seems cliche, but it's real tireless, daily, regimented work that like they did it because of that moment. <laughs> and so they feel like I got to thank the work I put in. And I, I really believe in that. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for doing this. I think we're out of time here, but incredible advice. You guys are obviously dominating each of the verticals that you guys are living in today, but obviously a lot of hard work went into that. So thank you guys so much for coming on today. It was an awesome time talking to you. Thank you guys. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to the Joe Pomp show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.